0: Well, I've been scouring the headlines this morning about Gil Hodges entering the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Some say it's 50 years too late. Some say, you know, it just he should have been in a long time ago. But the solace is every number on the rafter of City Field now, including, I believe, Keith Hernandez, is in the Hall of Fame. So, Lou Terminello, I turn to you because you're the Mets expert. You love the Mets. You follow them. I'm sure you were in the thick of it with 1969, first of all have every number up there now in the rafters, except for Kuzman, or is Kuzman in there? I, I don't know. Kuzman part, is in there.
1: Kuzman is retired. They, put, they retired Kuzman's number last year, but Kuzman is not a Hall of Famer.
0: But for the most part, a lot of those guys are in the Hall up there, and how does that make you feel as a Met fan that across town you've got the Yankees touting all those guys, yet the few, few on that roof are in the Hall of Fame. And, of course, Gil Hodges joining the ranks is a big deal today.
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Alex. I always appreciate being on with you. Um, uh, baseball teams, sports franchises, view uh, retired numbers differently. Uh, some teams uh, will say that uh, the player has to achieve a something of great significance, like the Hall of Fame, uh, before they retire a number. Other teams don't. As you say, the Yankees seem to be a little bit more liberal in in retiring numbers Uh, in my opinion probably a little um, a little overboard with their number retiring as a Met fan I think the Nets have been a little short in retiring numbers you know Jerry Kuzman's number was retired last year Keith Hernandez's number was retired uh, a couple of weeks ago Um, Gil Hodges his number was retired the year after he passed away in 1973 and uh, was retired in, in uh, I think it was May, by the Dodgers, which is almost hard to believe that the Dodgers didn't retire uh, Gil Hodges' number earlier, considering uh, how much he's meant to their history, um, both in Brooklyn and in Los Angeles. Second year in Los Angeles, Gil Hodges was a starting first baseman on a team that won the World Series in Los Angeles against the Chicago White Sox. Um, yeah, so uh, as far as retired numbers go, it's, each team has a little bit different criteria. Um, you know, you can go either way on that. But uh, without Gil Hodges joining the Mets uh, as manager in 1968, I-, I don't know if the Mets win in 1969. Probably not. Uh, he was stern, forceful, fair, took hold of a young team that had a magnificent young pitching staff and uh, told them in spring training you guys have a chance to win a division, which even the most diehard Mets fan, because they were still in their expansion team era. Expansion teams in the 60s were different than expansion teams now. There was no free agency. Uh, You had to pick from a very small pool of talent, so you knew the team was going to be a loser for five or six years, and hopefully you build up your farm system during that time. And that's what the Mets did, you know, obviously – the gem was Tom Seaver, but Jerry Kuzman, Nolan Ryan, uh, they all contributed, uh, Bud Harrelson. They all contributed in 69, but without Gil Hodges, uh, I don't think the Mets win. I, I well, really do Well, I think
0: it's also fitting this comes in the 60-year anniversary of the Mets. I mean, and then this week alone, you know, everybody's thinking about 1969. If you follow this week, the moon landing anniversary. So it's really been a throwback kind of week, if you will.
1: Absolutely, and it's funny. I remember the day of the moon landing. The Mets were in Montreal. And, uh, uh, I believe they they lost the first game to the to the expansion Expos, and they came back to win uh, the second game. And then uh, after we watched that double header on Channel Nine, because in those days, one hundred thirty five, one hundred forty five Met games were televised locally over the air, free TV. Uh, we all uh, watched. Uh, the moon landing that night. So uh yes, that was a that was a wonderful summer for me personally. Um as a kid growing up in high school. Uh the Mets were a day in and day out story that uh, that that
0: year. Now I know here her his daughter is gonna induct him today, which is special, but I also remember in pup you know, ceremonies at Shea Stadium didn't his widow, Joan, sometimes come to games? I remember she was yes. very involved. Yes,
1: Joan is still alive. She's still alive. She's 95. She's still alive. Um, but she's unable to travel to Cooperstown, and that's why uh, his daughter, and I believe her name is Irene, is going to give the speech today. Um,
0: but, uh, but Joan is... a lot of events back in the day. Sometimes. Yes,
1: and Joan was obviously a big, big, big proponent of Gil getting into the Hall of Fame, and was disappointed year in and year out. Uh, and it, it's really, uh, it's really strange how these Hall of Fame voters put some guys in and some guys don't. Um, I believe that that uh, Gil Hodges should have been in the Hall of Fame many, many years ago. I mean, some of the guys who who are in the Hall of Fame, I'm not, I'm not going to start picking on certain people, but there are people who really. You look at their achievements and uh, uh, you say, wow, why is this guy in the Hall of Fame? But uh, uh, Gil got there. At least he got there today. Um, but uh, it's, he should have been there a, a long time ago.
0: Lou, let's talk about that season unfolding because obviously they beat the Orioles. But it just seems like from all the highlights, they had magical time after time out there in Flushing. Um, and you got to believe became the phrase of the day back then. Well, um,
1: that was in the pitching era, and the the Mets, as they were going through that expansion era, remember, they started in 62, and you saw it in 67. Um, Siva was a rookie. He won the rookie of the year. The Mets still lost 101 games that year, Um, but Siva won rookie of the year, Um, and uh, he was 16 and 13. Harrelson came up, so he, and he was a great defensive shortstop. Obviously, he wasn't a great offensive shortstop like we have today, but the game was different. The game was a pitching-dominated game, so much so that uh, after the 1968 season, the 1969 season was the first year that the pitching mound was lowered from 15 to 10 inches because the pitchers were so dominant in 68. Um, but you saw that the Mets were you know, starting to get some young players. And uh, then in '68, uh, uh, Kuzman came. He won 19 games. And he missed uh, Rookie of the Year by one vote to the great Johnny Bench. It was so tight the rookie of the year that one writer split his vote between Kuzman and Bench. Um, so uh, the Mets traded for Tommy Agee. Tommy Agee was beamed. In 1968, during spring training by Bob Gibson. So his 1968 year was basically a waste. Uh, He batted 217 or something like that. Um, But the next year, he was recovered, probably had a concussion. You know, nowadays, he might have been out for the whole year with a concussion, but uh, the medical technology wasn't what it is today. Um, But in 1969, A.G. hit 26 home runs, Play the, play the great center field, and 26 home runs in 1969 with the equivalent of 40 today. Um, so uh, and Cleon Jones you know, that bad 340 that year. Uh, he uh, was a terrific right-handed hitter, and, and Gil Hodges managed the club expertly. I mean, there was only two players who played every day well, three players, excuse me, Jerry Grody, the great defensive catcher. Um, Cleon in left and, uh, and, uh, AG and center, excuse me, four, and you had Harrelson in shortstop. But at second, first, third, and right, it was a platoon system. Right field, you had, uh, Swoboda and Ochamski. Uh, at second base, you had Al Weiss, who had a big 1969 World Series, and Ken Boswell, the le- left hand hitter. Um, at third base, uh, uh, you had, you had Wayne Garrett. Uh, You had uh, uh, infielders like Bobby File. You had the glider Ed Charles as the right handed batter, uh, the veteran presence that they needed. Um, And at first, you know, at first base, uh, you know, Cranepool uh, uh, was the left handed hitter, and uh, he just platooned a lot. And the Mets had a pretty deep team, and they had a good bullpen Uh, McGraw, Ron Taylor, um, Danny Frisella. And Gil knew how to how to manipulate and manage them uh, expertly. And um, like I said, without without Gil's leadership, uh, I'm not sure that that miracle would have happened. There was a the Mets were the Mets were reeling downward. And it, didn't look, it looked like they were going to have a great year, but they were not gonna, they were not ready to finish first. So this was uh middle of August. It could have been like August maybe around August 14th or 15th, somewhere in there. They played a doubleheader against the Houston Astros at, at Shea. They got walloped in both games. In the second game, uh, Cleon Jones kind of loafed after a ball in, in the outfield. Still called time, not to take out the pitcher, to take out Cleon Jones. And uh, he sent a message to the team that uh, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You got to hustle to the end. And uh that that was a, a lasting mark as the team ended up going thirty-eight and eleven, their last forty-nine games. Uh I'm almost sure it was thirty-eight and eleven. Uh they went from nine and a half games out to winning the division by nine games. Uh, they swept the two game series against the Cubs at home in early uh in early September, Coozin with a complete game, uh the famous black cat game. Um, where a black cat walked in front of the Cubs dugout.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: it, was a mag- it was a magical season. It was one of, the- it, it was one of those, those situations in sports, whether it's baseball or whatever sport, it, it's unforgettable. There could be other great seasons, but you never forget that one because there were just so many unforgettable unfor- things. And uh, Gil cap
0: mine even peel. Well, and, uh, you know, the other thing I was thinking of is that that 69 team was just a a team of of regular guys. They weren't these egomaniacs that we see now. And I think that's why Queens took to them a little more. Just besides the winning, they they were likable guys. And Buddy Harrison's always been a likable guy. Like, I've met him multiple times. Like, what a stand-up guy. And that was the 69 Mets, right? They were just a stand-up team.
1: Absolutely. The 69 Mets, the Mets won in 69. They contended till September in 70, and then they lost. Uh, they lost like six out of eight to the Pirates, who eventually won a division. Very good Pirate team. Um, then the Mets won in 73 uh, with, with Yogi Berra as, as their manager. But the loss of Gil Hodges to the heart attack and something else that in Mets history is overlooked. Larry Murphy, their general manager, had died. John, excuse me, Johnny Murphy uh, had died a couple of years earlier. He was the architect of putting the team together, losing a general manager, and Gill, in a matter of a couple of years, really killed what uh, what should have been the Mets being a dominant team, at least through the early part of the '70s, I mean, dominant. Uh, they made the uh, uh, the general managers that followed Murphy made some bad decisions, they weren't qualified um, they lost Whitey Herzog. Uh, Whitey Herzog was uh, the Mets uh, farm director and uh, he had other positions in the organization. And when Gil Hodges died, it was just assumed that Whitey Herzog was going to become the manager. He didn't. And uh, they gave it to Yogi, who was a good manager. But Whitey Herzog obviously uh, reached greater heights uh, with the Cardinals and, and with the Royals. Um, so history would have been might have been different if if Murphy and Gill didn't die. But there's a lot of things you could say that about uh, uh, during the course of time.
0: I'm I'm just reading now. I had a tragic heart attack, and um, I remember I remember it. I remember the uh, day. i about that day. I, I you know it, it,
1: there was a player lockout, the first ever player lockout strike, lockout, whatever you want to call it. It was a work stoppage and um the season was already started i think it was the first weekend of April, and I think it was Gil and the coaches playing golf in in Florida. I think it was wet they were in West Palm beach, and uh he got a heart attack and um he uh didn't make it and um that uh was a sad sad day and um the Mets had a good year they were eighty six and seventy six in uh in '72, um, they had made they made a trade during that time when uh, when uh, Gil got the heart attack. Gil obviously, and I'm not even sure if Gil knew about the trade, but the trade was announced either the day a couple of days after that uh, Gil died for getting for Rusty styled. Uh oh. for Ken Singleton, for Mike Jorgensen, and Tim and Tim Foley. And, uh, Rusty was a terrific Met. The Mets got off to a great start under Yogi in, in 7, in 72. But, uh, didn't, you know, it I remember in those days, if you didn't finish first in your division, you didn't make the playoffs. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, that, that, that was a, that was a, a, very, looking back, that was a very, what I say, a telltaleing time in Mets history. You could always yeah. say, what if? What if What if Bill yeah. had died? I yeah.
0: know you have some gripes with the way the Mets organization has handled Seaver, but with Gill, do you think they've kept his memory, his spirit, his that I culture do. alive, or or no? I, I,
1: no, I think they they, they in that with Gill they've done a good job. I do. I mean, they retired his number immediately, um, and they kept his, they kept his memory alive. Um, and, the Met, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Tom Seaver. I mean, J- July 24th, 1988, uh, 34 years ago today, I was at Chase Stadium when they retired Seaver's number. Um, he had just retired uh, two years earlier and uh, officially retired a year earlier because he actually tried to make a comeback with the Mets, but his knee was his knee was too badly injured. And um, the thing is, after Seaver's number was retired, then the statue should have gone up, not not uh, this month. The statue's great; it's beautiful, but it have, that was 30 years overdue. But uh, yeah, that's how it goes. I understand that uh, one of Seaver's family members, I think, is one of his daughters, is going to be uh, in Cooperstown today. And if you, and if uh, Seaver was alive today, he would say, without Gill, Mets, Mets don't win in '69. But he well, told I don't them know in
0: about his positive speech because I'm sure he mentions them in his Hall of Fame speech.
1: Oh, I'm sure he does. Yep. And do Tom Gil... was the most oh. consistent pitcher I ever saw. But you can you I'm sorry. I mean...
0: the... no. Do you think Gil would have been an amazing manager today? Because as I said, he didn't deal with egos on that team, it seemed like. I mean, they were uh, just a group that put their head down and played. Now you got guys looking at the freaking ball as they hit it. They just pump their fist every strikeout. It just gets ridiculous. Could he have handled these guys well in the culture of today?
1: I would, I would say yes. I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Buck Showalter, but Show Buck Showalter has a respect to the players. To me, Buck Showalter is the reason why the Mets are contending uh, today. Uh, he treats them like men. Remember, Gil Hodges, I believe, won the bronze uh, star because i he was I, he was in okinawa for sure uh in the battle of okinawa um, and uh so uh he had that military background he had that soft but firm demeanor yeah and i think he would he would thrive today i do uh the players would respect him
0: what role cuz I, I keep thinking of talking about cuz he was a big part of that and of course he went to Philly after but I mean, he was just another solid piece, and I'm sure he would say the same thing about Bill today. But talk about Tug for a minute, because he was a real big part of that era there. Yeah,
1: now, it, it's funny. You talk about the difference between the way baseball is played nowadays than it was 50 years ago. Um, in, take a look at the 1969 World Series. Uh, Tug McGraw didn't pitch one inning in the 1969 World Series. He pitched in the NL... Championship series uh, against the Braves, which the Mets swept. But um, game, game one, Stever pitched in uh, the first seven innings. He lost. He pitched in the first seven innings. Um, game two, uh, Kuzman went eight and two thirds innings of two hit ball, and Ron, Ron Taylor got the third out uh, of the ninth inning of a two to one Mets win. Um, game, game three, uh, Game, game three, the Mets the Mets won, and uh, it was a combination of Gary Gentry, and the last two and two-thirds innings was pitched by Nolan Ryan, uh, i got to say. Was, uh, game four, Cedar pitches a 10-inning complete game. Game five, Kuzin pitches a, a, a complete game, and the Mets winning four games to one. So the, 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 the games were different. Then in 73... Uh, when McGraw had even established himself more as the bullpen guy, he pitched every day uh, down the stretch. I mean, and I don't mean one third of an inning. He would pitch two and a third inning one day, uh, one and two thirds innings the next day, three innings the next day. He pitched until his arm fell off, and he was remarkable down the stretch of '73. The Mets were beat up in '73, and literally uh, they
0: beat up uh, Pete Rose. Or they, you know, yeah, the that's, well,
1: that's right. They they beat up Pete Rose. But in 73, the Mets suffered major injuries. They didn't have a deep team. They didn't have a great offensive team carried by pitching. Seva won the Cy Young in 73 again. And uh, uh, if the division wasn't weak, which it was, the Mets wouldn't have gotten a second chance to get back in a race and, and, and win the division uh, and eventually beat a very, very historical, what would be a historically great Cincinnati Reds team, uh, by the time their their dynasty was over, in you know, in seventy seven, seventy eight, after they won in seventy five and seventy six, they upset the Reds. They were upset the Reds because of because of pitching. And, well, let me uh,
0: ask you this: Black game is interesting because I thought the Cubs and Mets were neck and neck in that race at that time. That's
1: correct. At that time, they were neck and neck, and mm-hmm. that just
0: shows you how far we are from that because as you say, with all these divisions now and three wild cards, I, it's, it's just you don't get that kind of um, thing where you're literally competing for the same division. And I, I kind of wish I was around to see that because that would be every team. seemed like from the Northeast to sort of Chicago, St. Louis, and then the, after that was the West, is that how that went? Or
1: Right. Well, the the American League and National League went to split the divisions in 69. The, the uh, American League went more geographical, the National League went more ball- than, uh, competitive balance with the teams at the time. Atlanta and Cincinnati, which were east of Chicago and St. Louis, were in the west division of the National League. Um, Chicago and St. Louis, which uh, were, uh, were in the National League east. So geographically, um, that was different than the American League, which went right down geograph- ge- geographic lines. They put the, the Chicago White Sox were not in the American League East, they were in the American League West. Um, but you know the know Chicago what? Cubs were well, national League.
0: If the USC and what if they can uh, play in the Big Ten now, I mean, anything's possible. Well, yeah,
1: that's true, yeah. but 50 years ago, that was that you know, that was like a head scratch. Um, so but it, it 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 led to great a great rivalry between the Mets and the Cubs. And you
0: think- uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, do you think that his. Well, get to that rivalry for one second because my dad's a huge Cub fan, so he'd want to hear. He probably remembers it as, as well as you do, actually.
1: Right. Well, Leo DeRocher, obviously a great manager, managed the Dodgers, managed the Giants. He to managed the Astros, but uh, he managed the Dodgers in Brooklyn, he managed the Giants in, in New York. Um, he was the Cubs' manager. The Cubs at that time only played day baseball. There was no lights in Wrigley Field until 1988. Um, they played the same eight guys every day, unlike the Mets, who played the, who, like I said, guild platoons. The Mets played basically 23 out of the 25 men on a r- rotating basis. Uh, many people believe that the Cubs playing the same eight guys for the most part every day in day baseball in the summertime kind of wore them out. And the, and the Cubs had a terrific team. They had Ron Santo, Hall of Famer, Ernie Banks, Hall of Famer, Billy Williams, Hall of Famer, smacking middle in that lineup. Don Kessinger was their shortstop, excellent. Glenn Beckert, an excellent second baseman. Randy Hunley, father of future Met Todd Hunley, uh, a couple, you know, 20 years later, was their catcher. They had a terrific pitching staff, Hall of Famer, Ferguson Jenkins, uh, Bill Hans, a, Jer- a New Jersey boy. Uh, they uh, They had... A really good team, but they fell apart after after uh, middle of August. They they just felt the Mets' breath breathing down their neck, and uh, they couldn't handle them.
0: I got to ask you this because obviously Gary Cohen and Howie Rose were Queens boys. They romanticized nineteen sixty nine. So but as, Jer- as a Jersey kid, is that romanticization for you different? Than them because they were really in the heart of this, or did you feel no, the same? No, transition? no, no, no,
1: no, 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 not not different at all. I mean, uh, as the Mets theme song says, East Side, West Side, wherever you are, you, you felt it. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, being being a, a Jersey boy, being in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is you could see the New York skyline from. From where I grew up,
0: you—you uh, you no, you, 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 you felt it. House? I didn't know that.
1: Pardon me. You and
0: Frank, you and Frank Sinatra grew up in the same town. Well, yeah, he's—he's the—he's the, he's
1: the most—he's the most famous uh, uh, Hoboken uh, birth. Maybe I'm—maybe I'm like uh, about five hundred.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it, it, you, you felt it. We felt it. All my. All the, all the friend, my Met friends in the neighborhood felt it. it you, you felt it. Even people who aren't Met fans were, were connected to it. It became that, it became that kind of thing. It was, it was the thing about baseball, about pennant races, especially like in those days. It was tense, like we said a couple of minutes ago. Well, you can't say, well, if we don't finish first, we're going to make the playoffs anyway. No. It was intense because every game was its own story. You had to finish first. It was intense. It was nerve-wracking, and it was
0: fun. Well, uh, let me ask you this because you mentioned all sides. What about the television, radio? It was. I feel like Bob Murphy and Lindsay were just required listening back in those days. Well, Bob,
1: Bob, Bob Murphy, Lindsay Nelson, and Ralph Kiner became our pals. We because remember. They did radio and TV. There's no separate crews like you see today. I almost wish it was, they would go back to those days. Um, if, uh, we'll just say if, if Nelson started off and did the first three innings on channel nine, uh, he would do the middle three innings on radio and then Murphy would do the final three, but they all, they rotated throughout the entire game. Um, so uh, I kind of like that scenario better, but uh I guess, uh, you know, times change. You know, now some of these teams have 10, ten uh, different uh, broadcasters. I'm not and big on that. And
0: how much money Joe Buck's making. Like, this is crazy. The announcers are glorified. And, you know, this is why I love Gary, Keith, and Ron, because they're just down-to-earth, you know, pals still, in my view. They're still your pals. Yeah, well, but
1: they they have good chemistry. There's no question about it. Gary, Keith, and Ron have good chemistry. Obviously, Gary, being a Met fan all his life, he has uh, an emotional connection to the team. Um, so, uh, and of course, Hernandez and 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 Darling, being members of, not, I mean, they they should have won more than one championship, and that's a story for another day because they were that good and they were that much better than everybody else uh, in that period from eighty four to ninety. Um, but uh, you know, they were on the best Mets teams of, of all time. The day that the Mets got Keith Hernandez, which I was shocked when the Mets made that trade because I said, okay, we knew we had some issues with with uh, substance abuse, and I guess that's why the Cardinals traded him. But the day that the Mets got Keith on June 15th, 1983, which in those days was a trade deadline, not, not at the end of July like it is now, um... Uh, to the time he left the Mets. The Mets had the best record in baseball.
0: Hmm. They should well, have won more but, than one time.
1: know. But that's I know, a story for another you day. You
0: told me that off there multiple times. It's just, you know, 86 and then 88 was another one. that They win the division, and then it just didn't happen in the postseason. Um, does Gil Hodges, does he inspire generations of Queens athletes After the fact, does he just inspire this borough from 69? Like he left that much of a mark. that I would say, I would say so. I I would say Queens and any of, and
1: any of the Brooklyn people that are still connected who have lived there, who who passed from generation to generation. I would say yes, because the Brooklyn Dodgers in the fifties, I know, I know they only won one championship in 55 and then they won in 59 when they were out in their second year in Los Angeles, with basically the same Brooklyn group. Um, but from 47 uh, to uh, to 57, the Dodgers won in... Well, let's go back. In 46, the Dodgers and Cardinals finished first, tied. But the uh, the Cardinals beat them in the, in the tiebreaker playoff. The Dodgers won the, the National League pennant in 47. They lost to the Yankees. They won it in 49. They lost to the Yankees. In 50 they lost the pennant by one game on the last day of the season to the Phillies. In 51, they blew the big lead in August to the Giants and lost the three game playoff to the Giants. In 52, they won the pennant. In 53, they won the pennant. In 55, they won the pennant and their ever their first ever World Series against the Yankees. In 56, they won the pennant. They lost to the Yankees in seven. That's an amazing run. And then for that team to leave Brooklyn, because uh, the city wouldn't get, wouldn't give them the stadium, and again, that's also a story for another day. I mean, that's that an amazing, amazing run, and that's the romanticism that people to this day have with that with that Brooklyn Dodger franchise for those those ten twelve years. And Gil was part
0: O'Malley of it. Here's what I've understood. Pardon me. O'Malley could have kept them here, is what I've been under the understanding of the last you know, uh, that
1: it's, not, it's
0: that it's not that easy. Robert Moses played a big, big, big
1: part in basically forcing O'Malley out. And then O'Malley got free land from the city of Los Angeles, but he didn't want to go. He did everything he could to, to stay. But that like I said, that's a story for that's a story for another day, I guess.
0: But, but it uh, really I, it's it, all connected because then you have Fred Wilpon who grew up around this whole era. And mm-hmm. people get him for making the Robinson Rotunda, but in a way, just like he tried to carry Gill's legacy, I think, as owner of the match at the time, or, you know, years later, uh, he wanted to just carry that whole era with him into the city field. So my next question is, does the Rotunda bother you? It doesn't bother me. I don't know why people give it. Well, the time.
1: Jackie Robinson Rotunda doesn't bother me. Uh, do, I, do, do I think it would have been better if it was named after Tom Seaver or Gil Hodges? I would say yes, and they could have still honored Jackie Robinson because Jackie Robinson is universal to baseball, uh, but I, well, I don't feel? have a problem. When I walk into City Field and I walk into the Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson Rotunda to get to my seat and go up that, and go up that escalator, I don't feel, oh, man, this is, this is not right. No, it's, it's fine. What uh, about the
0: Ebbets Field obsession? Does that bother you or no? I'm sorry? The Ebbets Field obsession, which we clearly see with City Field. I mean, he, he wanted to look like Ebbets Field. That, that, that does not bother me. That, that doesn't. I mean,
1: uh, the stadium is beautiful. Yes, it looks a, it looks a little bit like Ebbets Field from the outside. Um, that doesn't bother me. What, what bothers me is sometimes the Mets have been late into honoring their past. And I think, thanks to our friend Jay Horowitz, who is the the uh, alumni relations vice president for the Mets, I think he's trying to uh, rectify that, especially now with Steve Cohen as the owner. And I'm not blaming the Wilponts. The Mets were just... They couldn't make a decision on, on which way to go. Like I said to you a little while ago, I think the Yankees go overboard. Do I think Paul O'Neill needs... Deserve to have his number retired? I don't. He was a terrific player. Number retired. Posada number retired. Bernie Williams number retired. I don't think so. That's just me. That's just my opinion. Well, um, it's
0: really, they, they, they had the impact, but it wasn't the two, three, four, and uh, well, they were great. To, them, they were outstanding but... players.
1: Don't get me wrong. They were outstanding players, but you know the Yankees are the gold standard of baseball franchises, of baseball history. Um, Babe Ruth has his number retired. Joe DiMaggio has his number retired. Mickey Mantle has his number retired. Whitey Ford has his number retired. Derek Jeter has his number retired. Those are you can't put Posada, Williams, uh, Paul O'Neill on that level. That's, that's, just, that's, just my, that's just my two cents. But again, everybody does it to have different criteria. The Yankees have won what? Forty two, forty one, forty two pennants. Their success their success story is unmatched in, in baseball since uh since they got Babe Ruth in in, in uh the, the nineteen twenty season. Uh so uh you know everybody everybody
0: looks at it differently. Um Well, I gotta say this. As you know, the Viscardi school and the nineteen sixty nine Mets had a very close connection. You had Seaver going out there through Irish Cats actually. Um the sister of Fred Wilpon. So i got to give that, them kudos for being in the community years later. Tom Seaver, Buddy Harrelson, Ed Charles. I mean, those are the big three that I can think of that came out to Viscardi. So not only were they great on the field, they were in the community, Lou. I think people mm-hmm. don't realize that.
1: You see, another thing you go back, you're right about the community, and that's another reason why Gil Hodges was loved. Gil Hodges' house was right in Brooklyn, uh, with him and his wife and his kids and when he came and when he went to uh, when the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles he kept his house in Brooklyn and uh, when he became manager of the Mets he, he sta he was there it's not like he moved to uh, Long Island uh, you know to the North Shore or to uh, to Westchester County or to Bergen County New Jersey he stayed there and I think you know that uh, that's a connection that that Gil that Gil has with with the public, uh, not only in Brooklyn but with the public in the metropolitan area. He was kind of a regular guy for all he accomplished. Like I said, I think he was a bronze medal recipient,
0: um, and all yeah, these guys I mean, were kind of regular, if you will. Because I don't know if it was the same in '69, yeah. but I know in the '50s these guys had second jobs. Okay, they, they That's all right. Sort of like they walk to the park carrying their cleats. And then they play ball. They're not getting these million dollar jets unless you're Juan Soto who has to take a trip to the LA because he turned down the Nationals. Don't get me started about that whole thing. <laughs> But back in the day, they had second jobs. I think some of the guys were actually lawyers and accountants. Bobby Brown um, was actually, I think, you know, he was not just a ball player. Uh, so a lot of these guys were not just players back in the day. Oh, you're right. I mean, uh, look at one of
1: the. Uh... The greats of that team, Roy Campanella, the catcher, who never got to Los Angeles a a month before uh, 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 spring training was going to start, their first year as the Los Angeles Dodgers. They they still trained in Vero Beach, Florida. He had his own liquor store, and he was driving home on an icy January night, got into that terrible car accident, and was paralyzed for the rest of his life. Again, uh, I don't think Juan Soto is going to be doing that uh, now or when he
0: gets his next contract.
1: And, again, God bless these guys for uh, uh, being in this era and getting as much so money I as just, they can.
0: It's pretty bad taste for the Nationals not to charter him to L.A. I think that's just – how do you not do that? I don't care if you turn him down or not. That That's just – he turned you down or not. That's just uh, ridiculous. So. Yeah. And even the A's the didn't charter their all-star. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, I mean, the A's
1: uh, the A's didn't. And the Astros said, why don't you just jump on our chart and we'll take you. And so
0: – Niceness of that team, I really don't like. Anyway, ah, uh, the Astros, I mean. Anyway, this has been fun, and I, I hope that people enjoy this walk down memory lane. Now, the last piece to all this was three years ago. They do the whole 50th anniversary at City Field, and uh, that was just a special day. I don't know if you got to make it or not, but that was. I was not fun. in. I wasn't not in attendance that night,
1: but I do remember
0: it. And Buddy Harrelson, who is now, you know, his health is declining, but. He was mm-hmm. there. And they honored Nolan. Oh, that's the thing. Nolan Ryan becomes the guy after the Mets, and and everybody's like, "Why did you trade him?" And it, I'm sure people in that era still are wondering why they traded Nolan. Ryan. Well,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna be very very honest with you. Most Mets fans, that was Ryan was with the Mets five years, and um, he always shown those French flashes of brilliance. And when the Mets, when the trade was made, the Mets weren't really that criticized. Like, what are they doing? Even myself as a Mets fan, and he got traded in the, in the winter of 71 going to the 72 season. Um, so I, was, uh, I, was in, I was a freshman in college. And I, I said, okay. But it's for, they got in return. They got Jim Fregosi, who was an all-star shortstop. And they wanted him to play third base but Jim Fregosian, uh the last year and a half had declined rapidly as a ball player. He was a disaster as a Met. His range was gone. His power was gone. Um, if they had traded Nolan Ryan for uh, Richie Allen, uh, who was the MVP in 72 for the Phillies. I mean, he just got traded from the Phillies to the White Sox. Um, you know that 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 would, that would have been different, uh, but he was a former Phil, a former Cardinal, and but it's who the Mets got in return. They got nobody in return for this great pitcher, this unique pitcher. Um, and you know his first year with the for with the Angels, he threw a no hitter. I think he threw two no hitters. I think he threw one in Kansas City and one in Detroit in '72. Went on to throw seven no hitters. You know, just a very unique. Pitcher who was taught by Mets pitching coach, former Brooklyn Dodger, he made out of Gil Hodges, Rube Walker, and all those Mets pitchers, Seaver, Kuzman, uh, Nolan Ryan, Gary Gentry, they all threw the same way using their, their bottom trunk, their legs, to generate their pitching efficiency. <laughs> and unfortunately, Nolan Ryan's pitching efficiency came after he left the
0: Mets. (laughs) Uh, And would last really long into into 1991. Hey, Lou, uh, one other thing, are the Mets going to keep this division lead, the current-day Mets, because they're now literally the Braves only a half a game out now after this weird series against the Padres. I don't know. I think it's the Heat. I was thinking the Mets might win at least one or two, but they just look lackluster right now.
1: The the Mets look a little a little lackluster, a little tired. They're not hitting. They didn't hit even when they won three out of four against the Cubs last week. They did win won the first game eight nothing, but the uh, the other two games that they did win, they were struggling uh, at the bat. Um, uh, they they do look a little tired. Um, I do think you're going to see something in the next ten days. They've added a bat with 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 the kid from Pittsburgh Vogelbach. Uh, He's, he's just a, uh, a left-handed hitter. He can't hit lefty, so he'll only play against righties. But Mets is a batting 217 going into, last, going into last night's game. So the DH position, which we all thought coming into the season was going to be a positive for the Mets, with Dominic Smith from the left side and, and J.D. Davis from the right side, has, has not come to fruition. And so the Mets are going to have to upgrade. That's why they made that trade with the Pirates. And I think they're going to make another trade. I think they are. Um, I mean, they, they have
0: had to. Say, they, uh, got, they got in the gets this right. <laughs> You know, how many times are you going to send Smith down before he gets it right? It seems like he's struggling this year, uh, a little bit more than other years. But you just mentioned at the back, and I have to ask you know, one more thing. Casey sure. at the back. Okay, so the Mets fan base are spoiled with Casey. They love him, the Stangalese. Then there's a bit of a lull until 68 when Hodges comes in. But tell me, the, was there. Was there a connection, a synchronicity between Sengel and Hodges? Well, when the
1: Mets when the, when the Mets became an expansion team, um, obviously there had been no National League baseball in New York for four seasons. The Dodgers and Giants left at the end of the '57 season. So, so the Mets and they only had a pool of 15 players to choose from. It's like I said, it's not like today. Yeah, the Mets and the Astros, the Angels, and the Senators, which joined the American League the year before the uh, they had a very small talent pool to, to pick from. So uh, George Weiss, who was a former Yankee general manager, became the Mets general manager, he started picking players that the fans knew. They picked Charlie Neal, former Brooklyn Dodgers second baseman, Gil Hodges, um, uh, Gene Woodling, former Yankee uh, outfielder. And you go right down the line. Now, they, Richie Ashburn, who actually still who had a very good... The Mets were 40 and 120. Richie Ashman had a great year for the Mets. But they uh, what they did was they brought these players that uh, the fans could recognize. Because nationally, baseball in New York was king, even though the Yankees were the best team. But because you had those two teams, the Dodgers and the Giants, usually battling it out almost every year, that the, for the fans, especially post-World War II... Um, you know, National League baseball was was uh, was king. So they brought these guys in, and I don't obviously they didn't play uh, they didn't play these guys to lose under twenty games. I think they thought, and you could even some of the uh, players who were on that first team thought that they were going to be pretty good just because our on name only. But name only goes so far because father time stops for no one, and they were all over the hill. I mean, I think they probably thought they were going to win like 65 games. They won 40. Um, Yes. And the manager that they picked was Casey Stingle, who had been let go after the Yankees lost game seven to the Pirates on a famous Mazarowski home run. Um, Casey Stingle, the Yankees thought at the age of 70, was too old to manage a team. So they let him go. The Mets picked him up because Casey Stingle was New York. And. Mm Was he was New York? So you say was there a connection? Is there some kind of symmetry between Casey Stengel and Gil Hodges? I would say yes, because of the what the golden era of New York baseball from post World War II through uh, you know through the mid '60s, you know until '64 when you know the Yankees lost to the Cardinals in seven, and then they went on that long drought. Uh, before they won in in seventy six, they went to the World Series and then won the World Series in seventy seven seventy eight. Yeah, I do think I do think there's a connection symmetry,
0: you know, didn't whatever know label it? you want to put on it. They knew each other a little bit, didn't they, Gil and? and well, he ma- they-
1: remember remember Casey imagine in the first uh, year uh, yeah. the first year in the month. Gil Gil was drafted by the Mets uh, in the expansion draft, I believe he got the first hit in Mets history on April eleventh nineteen sixty two an 11 to four loss to the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis. And uh, then I, I want to say at the end of May of 63, um, the Washington senators, another expansion team came to the Mets and said, we want to make Gill our manager. So Gill went from the playing field right into the dugout to became, uh, to become the, um, senators manager. And the Mets actually had to make a trade in, in, uh, Six In 67, at the end of the 67 season, when they fired Wes Westrom, um, who had also had New York ties, he was a New York Giants catcher in the 50s,
0: uh,
1: they had to make a trade. I think they sent $100,000 and the player, and I remember the player well, it was a pitcher by the name of Bill Dennehy, who later became a sports announcer, uh, I believe in Arizona. Uh, but yeah, I believe he was from around here. He might have been from Connecticut. Um, and uh, $100,000 and Bill Dennehy, uh, because Hodges was still under contract with the Senators, and uh, that's how Hodges became Mets manager in 1968. Uh, I, Mike Vaccaro, uh, in today's post, yeah. talked about that, um, and he said that the Senators first asked for $100,000 and Tom Seaver. And the bed said no. Thank God.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, what a turning yep. point that would have been. All right, yeah, uh, Lou, this has been a real treasure, and I said let's do five minutes, and we know those conversations aren't always five minutes. So thank you. But I got to ask you one more thing. People listening sure. might want to know how the hell does he have this recall fifty years later? Like, I, you've got brain health there, Lou. You've got you know, you've got it going. Well, you've got the
1: call there. Well, I, I I appreciate that. It was a goal. It's I love sports. Uh, it was a I love sports history, uh, and uh, the summer of '69 was uh, just memorable for me. And uh, you know, and, and I thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, to talk about those days.
0: I couldn't think of anybody else to talk about uh, on like last minute, especially. But I said I, we got to talk about this because I know Lou would be have all the have the answers that I that I was. Uh, Hoping to hear. So thanks again, sir. And we will have you on again for sure. Anytime. I'm always there. Just give me a buzz. Thank you, Alex. You do a great job. Thank you, sir. I'm Alex Garrett. We're always adapting. And Lou's got a story of adapting. I'll maybe ask him about one day. I'll have to ask him off air if he's comfortable sharing it. But for now, he's our sports guy. And I love that. And he's just beyond sports. He's just a a great dude. And uh, I always love our conversations. I'm Alex Garrett. Stay tuned for more.